Hello, hello, and welcome to today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always such a a pleasure to record these podcasts because I get to really deeply share more in depth with you the things that you want me to talk about, but also the things that I notice people are asking questions about. So sometimes um, educators, part of our community will email me or send me a message to say, hey, Victoria, you know, you mentioned this and, and I want to know a little bit more about it, or I did the, the planning course with you and I'm, I'm, I understand what you're saying on a fundamental level, but when it gets down to the nitty gritty of things, it kind of falls apart and my understanding doesn't make sense anymore. So recording the podcasts are a really great way for me to dive a little bit further into these uh, topics and put it into a context and in a way that you can listen to um and really get a whole lot of different insight from it. Uh, so today I'm going to be talking about goal setting in early childhood education and the importance of that and how simple it actually can be. Um, the biggest thing that I notice with programming is that educators want to make it difficult Inherently, that is the biggest, most common, complex problem, or not complex, problem that people have when it comes to programming, documentation, and and working in that professional, and for those of you listening, I just did uh, quote unquote with my fingers, Um, it's sometimes hard to remember that you're on a podcast and people can't see you. Uh, but that that I call that the professional side of our business. And that is often the part that people feel the least equipped for because the way in which we can do these, um, meet these requirements is so broad that when you actually break it down and you look at it and put it into context, it's so simple what we need to be doing that people actually think it can't be that easy. It's got to be more difficult than that. And it really isn't. And I really want to break down uh, the idea of goal setting um, because the requirements that we work under say that we have to have some goals for children. And they can be collected in a variety of ways or they can be uh, done between you and the parents or just you or you and the children or the children might have their very own goals uh, depending on their age of courses and their ability to be able to communicate with you will determine those children setting those goals. Um, Otherwise, it's you reading their cues and taking that information and then going forward with that uh, and using the parents or other significant caregivers in their lives to move forward with that as well. You may also be lucky in that you have uh, shared care with another educator or another service and you may create a communication chain there, which you can then also use them and they use you and your knowledge of the child and come together and work together for the benefit of that little person. Uh, So goal setting today is going to be the topic of our podcast. And I hope that I can shed some light uh, or create even some different perspectives and awareness uh, for you as an educator in uh, family daycare in Australia. So we will get right into it. 
Hello, hello, and welcome to the Big Hearted Podcast. My name is Victoria Edmund, and I am your host. Our aim here at the Big Hearted Podcast is to nurture a community of heart-centred educators to change the perception and delivery of early childhood education and care in Australia and ultimately around the world. We want you to be inspired by our guests and the topics we bring to you to think of new ways of being as an educator. We want you to feel a sense of belonging via this podcast so that you can engage any time of the day or night in any place that suits you. We want you to become an educator that delivers education from the heart, as we believe this is how we create great change within our world. So join us as we discover new ways to inspire each other here on the Big Hearted Podcast. Welcome back. So I want to talk about the importance of setting goals in early childhood education. So setting goals provides a clear direction and purpose for both educator and the child, as well as the family, because when we we all need to work together so that we have the highest benefit or the highest good of the child coming out at the end of the day. Uh, when, when we meet those needs of the children and then we can challenge them a little bit because everybody needs a healthy dose of challenge in their life, we, we have good outcomes for these people, for the children, and they are people. Um, they're our most vulnerable people, but they're also the people that are in the most intensive learning phase that they will ever experience in their life. So being able to clearly define what you are doing so that you can efficiently, effectively uh, provide learning frameworks and provide pathways for the children to explore their own abilities, whether that be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. Um, You know, I look at child development holistically. You can't have one that stands out above everything else and spend all your time working on that because it's like the iceberg uh, experience. You know, you can see what's on the top, but what's underneath the waterline is generally so much bigger. And if we don't create that really solid base and have a bigger underneath side to the child, what we see on the top will only last for so long before it gets exposed and everything flips apart and becomes untenable or becomes unbalanced and then we start having holes and disruptions and things like that for the children. So having some goals makes and and being able to clearly identify and look at the child from a holistic perspective really means that we get a broad overview and we can ensure that we're not just focusing on the same thing all the time for that particular child because that's just where their uh, light shines so to speak. I know for me myself as an educator when I was uh, using the outcomes uh, when when doing my observations I avoided technology because I a bit old school, um, don't think children need to be watching TV, engaging in movies on the daily. Uh, I don't think they need to be playing phones and games on their on um, uh, via apps and things like that in early childhood education. I just think, uh, and it's probably going to be an unpopular <laughs> stance to take, but 
I think when a family and the government is paying you to provide a form of education for children, particularly in family daycare, when there's three other children for them to engage in and you in a one-on-one situation or in this small group scenario, there is no need for children to be on devices at all. With the exception, and I will caveat that, with the exception, if you're perhaps, as an example, in the garden and this funky bug comes along and you just go, what on earth is that? Let's look that up. And because we've had it here where this bee, and I knew it was a bee because it looked like a bee, uh, not like any bee I'd ever seen before, I will add. It was black with white spots on it. and. I was like, what on earth are you? I've never seen you. And the children and I were looking at it. He'd passed away. We were looking at him and we put him on this um, piece of timber and we looked at him from all different angles. We catalogued his wings. We looked at how many legs he had. We looked at the different uh, connector points in his abdominal and his body and we could see his eyes and, like, it was phenomenal. It, It was a good hour deep exploration of this bug and, then I, because I didn't know what it was, I Googled black and white spotted bee and it came up and it's actually a spotted cuckoo bee. And then there was this whole heap of information. It's a native bee. Um, this was years ago now, so I'm, I'm struggling to remember all of the points to it. But it was a native bee. It was a solitary bee. It would lay its eggs uh, in holes that other bees had already made, blah, 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 all these things. And so we we really looked that up. That was a highly engaging and teachable moment with those children. It was completely spontaneous. And I would say added to the situation, added to the children's knowledge base and was of benefit to them and me and that B as well. Even though he passed away, there were other kinds of (laughs) him out there Uh, and these children now have knowledge of bees, which then will benefit bees moving forward in the world in the future. So that that is an acceptable time and place in which technology can be used. But on the whole, for me, I would steer away from technology in early childhood because I think, you know, you get a new phone, you have to retrain how to use it. Like, this whole story that technology children are going to get left behind is is a total furphy. I've retrained myself um, multiple times uh, in in all different forms of technology, and children these days have so much more exposure to it uh, outside of the education facility. So they're not missing out, basically, is what it comes down to. So what I identified, though, is that I was avoiding doing any kind of observation in the use of technology at all. So it meant that I had to flip my thinking and and really go, hmm, you can't have a hole. You can't have a gap there, my friend. You need to find ways that you can introduce technology so that children are not going to be missing out. And technology is just a form of, when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, technology is a form of using something for different purposes. So a pencil is technology. Like literally, it's it's a 
innovative way to record something for the future. So a pencil is technology, a pulley is technology. So I had uh, a pulley system where we had a rope and a bucket and then the children, there was a little um, pulley thing that I got online somewhere and they would pull the rope through the pulley and it would move the bucket along. That is technology. Uh, And, you know, so, so doing all these kinds of things and including that and then broadening my perspective and my understanding meant that the children were not missing out on these fundamentals of how things work and how you can be innovative and all those sorts of things to meet those technological needs. And so that I was having a well-rounded program within my service that I was able to offer for the children. So, you know, you have to have the awareness that things need to be holistic when it comes to children. So when it comes to goal setting for children, that is equally as important And it's equally important that you document what you're doing so that you can come back and look at where you've come from with the children. So having goals, um, it's super important because it fosters a structured learning environment. Now, that's also going to be a very unpopular opinion that a structured learning environment is not going to be child-led or emergent. And on this point, I completely disagree. So the children have this emergent and we run these emergent curriculums, which means we meet the children's needs. So we are following the children's interests, but it can't always just be loosey-goosey, go with the flow. There needs to be some kind of structure in place that you can come back to as a reference point and keep yourself on track knowing that you meet these EYLF frameworks. Now, the word framework itself denotes that there's a structure there. So when I say structure, I'm not saying that it's black and white and that it's left or right or that it's this or that. It's not that. What it is is it's a structure of a set of disciplines for yourself and a framework that you can work within to provide a program that is going to be replicable, Uh, You're going to be able to come back and assess it and look at it from a different perspective and assess and gauge how that occurred. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a structured learning environment. So I want to give you sort of about four or five examples that highlight the significance of goal setting for education. So let's look at academic achievement (laughs) for early childhood education. But we want to set some really solid groundwork. And I don't mean academic as in, you know, we're going to actively teach the children how to count or how to write letters and things like that. Like I I don't necessarily think there's a... um, uh, a definitive time or place where that is going to happen for children. And for me, that will be moved much closer towards prep than in early childhood education. But in saying that, there are definitely things that you can put in place to assist the children and to introduce these things in a really gentle manner where it just becomes a symbiotic part of who they are. 
And so that might be including, so let's have the goal of giving the children a sense of focus, uh, setting academic goals as a way to help children develop a sense of focus and determination. So for instance, a goal could be for a child to learn to count to 10 by the time they are, I don't know, three or four, right? So what you want to be able to do and, and you're choosing that because that child is already perhaps expressing an interest in that. So, and I'm not saying that we're going to formally sit down with letters and numbers and, you know, pens and paper and and be learning and writing these things, but you as the educator go, okay, I can see this children's trying to, this child is trying to count already. What I'm going to do to assist them to be able to put the numbers into the right category is I'm going to introduce a series of songs that we will sing every day that child is in care. You might have the 10 little children playing in a tree, uh, you you know, whatever song it is. Um, I've just lost all of my songs (laughs) and all of the things. It was 10 little Indians, but now I think that that might not be seen as politically correct. And so I was like trying to come up with a different song to talk about, but it didn't quite work. But Let's pretend it's uh, 10 little children playing in a field, you know, like or far out. Now I've got myself all in a muddle, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? You've got these number songs or five speckled frogs sitting on a log. There we go. That is safe ground. Five speckled frogs sitting on a speckled log, eating some most delicious bugs. Yum, yum. So you're going to have on your plan for that child for that whole season that you're going to work on you know numbers number facts right and so you might then also decide to ask that child to help you set the table at meal times and you might ask them how many friends have we got here today I need you to count the friends so that we can get the right amount of plates out or the right amount of placemats or the right amount of cutlery or blah, 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 blah. So every opportunity, you're going to use that goal that you have in mind because that child showed you they wanted to start counting and you're just offering all of these different opportunities in different ways to be able to facilitate that child having a conceptual understanding of what it is to count and knowing their numbers up to 10 or whatever it is. It could be the same with their letters. And uh, as they get towards that age, you might start making all sorts of games up for them. But that was a goal based on uh, information that they gave you because of their interests. So this is where structured learning comes into play because what you do is you want to look at these goals from a big helicopter view and then you start coming in closer and closer and closer and defining what it is that you are going to set up for that particular child because we have to create individualised programs for the children in our care How you do that is by having specific, clear goals. Now, those goals can come from a variety of places. They can come from the milestone checklists. They can come from communication with the families or potentially other services that might be involved with that child. Uh, It can come from other caregivers. And it can also come from things that you've noticed that that child has a deep interest in. But we don't want to get stuck in just following the child's own deep interest. As I mentioned earlier, we want to be able to challenge the children and and encourage them to stretch, okay? And there are 
different areas that we can choose to look at all the time. And this is why it's important that you document this so that you can make sure that you're not just touching on the same area all the time or avoiding a particular area like I used to do with the technology. So, you know, setting academic achievements or, or more formalised learning outcomes uh, as, as they get older is a really good thing to be able to do. And I'm, again, not saying that you sit down with pen and paper or pencil and paper and, you know, actively teach them that sort of stuff. We have the opportunity in family daycare to be so much more creative with how we meet an academic achievement. Uh, so this is where that over helicopter overview and then being able to come in and hone in and get more focused on a particular goal that you want to have for the children is really important and vital. So having that um, and breaking it down into achievable objectives, that's that that's what I mean when I'm talking about coming further in and looking closer. So that if you were to say, oh, look, little Sally's, you know, counting and I'm noticing that all her numbers are out of sequence, then we know we've got a sequential, like an issue or, or not an issue, but she's building the blocks for sequential learning. Now, sequential learning uh, or, or putting things in sequence is the very first building block for reading, pre-literacy. If you can't put things in the correct sequence and order, it will be very, very difficult for you to learn how to read. So this is where having oral stories, you might say that you've got children that are heading off to preschool or prep. You want them to be, you know, getting to have a little bit of emerging literacy. So one thing you could bring in is stories that have specific um, every time they're told the same. And you might have props. This is where I do a lot of the Steiner oral storytelling. Um, and it's props. You use props and you have a part of the story like the three billy goats gruff. It's a repetitive story. So you might have the story where one day there was three billy goats. They were brothers that lived on a hill and they were called the billy goats gruff. And from that hill, one day, the baby billy goat looked across the meadow and could see this beautiful grass that was so thick and lush and looked so tasty, he decided he wanted to go and try that grass. There was a problem, though, and that problem was the bridge, but more specifically, the troll that lived under the bridge. He had, had never been across that bridge because that troll was quite scary. He decided to gather all his courage up and to go forth across that bridge to get to that beautiful lush green grass. He got to the bridge and he realised that it was water was flowing underneath it and blah, 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 blah. And, and all of a sudden he decided to start going across the bridge, trip, trap, trip, trap, off I go to the meadow, or whatever you're going to say. And then the troll comes out, out comes the troll, does a big scare. He's very, very clever. And he says, oh, you don't want to eat me. I'm far too little. Wait for my brother. He's bigger than me. He's going to come along next. You can eat him. <laughs> Nothing like throwing your brother under the bus. And on, 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 and on, and on the story goes. And then the, the medium-sized brother comes and then the big brother comes and the big brother butts him off. But in between 
all of those things is the same little song that you put in and it happens in the same order every single time you tell that story. And then you can leave your prop basket out and the children will begin to retell that story. Now, at first, they'll have it all in the wrong order, but once you tell them that story time and again, they'll start to remember that order and they'll remember that it's the little one, the middle one, and then the large one. Now, that runs across so many of the children's stories, Goldilocks and, you know, all these things, they happen in a sequence when we, with these other stories, the little red hen, you know, and you've got to recount that sequence again and again and again through the story and songs like the wonky donkey and things like that, they're sequential. So when you're telling them again, you're repeating that sequence, you're often adding another thing on the end. Then you come back, you know, the wonky donkey, he had three, he had a wonky eye, he had three legs, he wore a leather jacket, like, oh, like, hopefully you know that song. And I don't just sound like a weirdo right now, but <laughs> but this, this sequential learning is something that you can take into, uh, into context and know that you're providing an academic achievement for those older children by giving them that sequential learning and opportunities for them to repeat things in sequence. So the next part that we can look at and another goal area that we can look at is social and emotional development. Now, that's very important for all ages of children. Um, so goal setting, it plays a crucial role in nurturing social and emotional skills in young children. So a goal could be for a child to learn how to take turns during playtime or to express their feelings in words rather than in tantrums. So setting goals for children around that, it will feel very repetitive for you and it's usually around that two-year-old mark that these sorts of goals start becoming quite uh, relevant and important for those children because this is where they start to bicker. They start to have fights. They start to, you know, so-and-so looked at me and then they lose it, <laughs> you know, or, or they're stealing toys and they're snatching and then quite often they start hitting because there's that frustration and then somewhere lurking in nearly every group at some point is the biter. And, and that comes from that social and emotional development, um, their, their curriculum, I was about to say, their ability to speak, their ability to share their thoughts. There's a, a little um, blockage in there that, that they're just not able to, to overcome quick enough and get the words out so then they bite. So these are goals that you can help the children to move through so that they're going to have a socially acceptable or accepted understanding of how it is to be within community, uh, how it is to be more emotionally resilient, how it is to be able to regulate your emotions much more. So they are important goals that you can set for children in, and they're quite often relevant in the same age categories as well. They'll go through those um, developmental milestones too. And sometimes if you've got children all of the same age, I know I've just got an educator at the moment who's literally just popped out the other side of it, of all children coming up towards two, where for eight weeks or so, she was just going insane. Oh my gosh, I'm saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. It's just, this, I'm on like Groundhog Day here and it's driving me insane. 
you know, I think I think I want to cry at the end of every day. And and it's legit. This is what happens. But when you understand the development and you understand where the children are at, and this is where using developmental milestone checklists is a great way because then you know what you're experiencing is just a developmental stage. And once you get through that stage, you're going to be on the other side of it. But again, it's having that helicopter view and then coming in closer and really looking at that individual child and going, well, what are you experiencing now? And what can I do to help you move through that is going to be what helps you set your goals and clearly define them. So another particular area that you can look at with goal setting, which is quite uh, helpful and a massive, um, there's a massive area to cover in this one is physical development. So we have to have a focus on physical development because, again, we have to look holistically at the child. If the child is not able to walk balanced, then that tells us there's something amiss and we might need to do some further investigation. So it could be that you're just noticing there's a particular child who's avoiding maybe climbing up the slide and we want to investigate why that might be. So we might then decide to go, well, is it the stairs that up to the slide that are the problem? Well, if that's the case, I'm going to backtrack and I'm going to set some simple on the ground obstacle courses for that little one. I might put some planks on there and encourage them to walk along the plank and then to jump across to other ones. And then I'm going to put a couple of little boxes that I have so that that child can then go from the plank up the one box and then down onto the next plank. So we're introducing one step at a time in a very gentle way. And then eventually we're going to build up and then hopefully we're going to be able to get them to get onto the slide and that's going to help them. So if we didn't have that overall helicopter view of that particular child and we didn't take the opportunity to zoom in and investigate what it actually might be, then we couldn't set the goal because our goal would still be too broad. But when we come in and we look at it in that more um, holistic way and, and that zoomed in way, we couldn't break down the problem or the potential problem uh, to into smaller bite-sized pieces. So I, ho I hope that's making sense. <laughs> so like an example, as I said, you know, trying to encourage a child to be able to go up the stairs if you know they're struggling with that. Or maybe they are, um, what else? Maybe they're struggling with running. They fall over all of the time. You know, wh what are we going to do? How can we encourage them to be able to, uh, that's probably not a, a very good example, actually. <laughs> It's probably a terrible example because you can't, that is a difficult, oh, wow, Vic, that was, yeah, no, that's not a good example. So let's have a look at another way that we could look at physical development. So it could be that, like, I, I remember having a child that wanted to be carried all the time. Oh, my goodness. And that was not going to work when I had the baby in the baby carrier and we had to walk up to the bus stop in the afternoon. And sometimes if the children had slept a lot longer, we were quite rushed in the afternoon. And so this little one would quite often choose those days to turn it up because he could obviously sense my need to get out the door and my heightened like come on we've got to go we've got to meet so-and-so off the bus we can't be late let's go let's go that would be the day he wanted to be carried 
And they were the days that I would sometimes cave and be like, oh, come on, come on, because we've just got to go, you know. And so then it was solidifying that whole pattern in there. So for me to actually come back and look at what's actually going on, so I had to come back into that helicopter view to then hone back in to look at what the specific goal was or, or thing that I wanted to work through with that particular child. Um So what it came down to was that he did not like to be rushed. He really didn't like to be rushed and uh, he was often carried a lot at home. So, and that was evident because, you know, at three and a half, mum would carry him in from the car into the daycare. I mean, you know, like just he was the baby and so he was carried in. So when I started looking at that and going, well, that's something that I know we can stretch and we can work on and then I started having conversations with the family, it became more evident what I needed to do in order to help him move through that and to stretch him, stretch his awareness, stretch his knowledge, stretch his physical you know, he he wasn't used to walking such a distance and we have a slight hill. So for him, it was a, a physical struggle. And so we put a series of things in place. And um, by the end of the year, he was running up to the bus stop and back. So, but had I not taken that moment to have a helicopter view and then to zoom into what specifically do I need to work on um, with that goal, I wouldn't have ever really taken the time to understand what was actually going on. So another area that educators sometimes can struggle in setting goals is that creativity and imagination. So having the ability to be able to tune into music and art and storytelling, it allows children to activate their imagination and it fosters their creative abilities. So a goal could be to have a child um, paint a piece of paper from left to right and fill the entire piece of paper. Now, I've used this example before on on several other occasions. So if a child can't paint an entire, can't colour an entire piece of paper, there is actually background that that child has not had enough time crawling. So what what you're asking a child to do when you're asking them to paint a piece of paper from left to right or right to left is you're actually asking them to cross the midline. So that's the imaginary, it's not imaginary, it is there, but that is the invisible, that's the word, the invisible line that separates your body. Now, we all know in the brain that the left-hand hemisphere controls the right-hand side of the body and the right-hand hemisphere of the brain controls the left-hand side of the body. Now, in between those two parts of the brain is what's called the cortex. Now, in that cortex, that's where we cross the midline. So the nerve endings from the left-hand side have to go across the cortex in the brain to the right-hand side to control the right-hand side of the body. When you crawl, you actually, you're crossing your midline, you're using opposite sides, left-hand forward, right knee forward, right hand forward, left knee forward. So when children crawl, and this is why it's important that you crawl before you walk, 
is that what they're doing is they're cross-crawling. It's called cross-crawling. They are activating both sides of the brain at the same time. And it's a, it's a big thing to learn how to do. And what, what you do every time you're crossing that midline is that you're creating synapses in the brain that cross that cortex. Now, the cortex is thicker in males than it is in females, which is why women can talk so much quicker and for so much longer than what most men can because the cortex is different. But that's that's good when you're looking at like um, engineering and, and those sorts of things, like the brain is built just a little bit differently so that those things um, are easier to come to. And I'm not saying that that's just for male and female uh, because obviously there are some women who are brilliant engineers and have that analytical thinking type of thing, but I'm just speaking generally um, that that thicker cortex um, allows for a different kind of thinking to occur. So uh, when, when you can't paint a piece of paper from left to right and right to left, it tells you that that child has not had enough time crawling because it's difficult for them to cross that midline. So when you're looking at creativity and imagination and all that sort of thing, that can go back into physical development, obviously. But what it's telling you is that there's some work to be done uh, to allow these kinds of things to happen with that child. So you can, again, take that wider helicopter view and pull it into that uh, more focused view. Um, then using creative arts allows you to be able to um, have this beautiful expression there's no right or wrong way to, to be creative in music or art or uh, physical movement of your body and things like that. So setting goals uh, for children can help develop their creativity. It also gives them a sense of accomplishment when they successfully complete things as well. So, yeah, and, and that's a very broad topic with, with all of the age groups. So artwork for a two-year-old is going to be very different to what it is for a five-year-old and same with that physical development and this is where the developmental milestones are a great place to anchor in goal setting because it just helps you to have something that we can be working towards and it's not a linear it's definitely not linear for everybody um, and everybody is on their own trajectory. So we're just working towards these things. So I feel like quite often that creative play, when we do too much for the children, we take away the opportunities for them to really engage that muscle. So a child needs to be in uh, play or have uninterrupted space for about 45 minutes before they fully drop into creative play and you'll all have experienced that creative play that children have where they are leading it completely you know they might play puppies or they might be doctors and you know that that role playing starts to come in they start directing their own games they start making their own rules and things like that so that's that requires 45 minutes of uninterruption before they even get there. And then once they're there, they need further time to be able to explore all of that. So this is another thing that I really advocate for in that teachers step back, educators step back, get your nose out of their business. 
Don't put the ideas there. Don't direct them all the time because when you're doing that, you're taking those opportunities for that goal, that that creative muscle to be flexed. So, again, if you're wanting to look at goals around that kind of play, you might have a whole heap of three-year-old children that are starting to really get into that play that's one of those things that you could set as a goal. I'm going to set as a goal uh, an hour and a half block every time these children are in together so that they can develop this rich creative play. That could be a goal for your entire Wednesday group, for example, um, or there could be a particular child that's really wanting to engage the other children in that kind of play. So you're going to set that as a goal and that can be a goal for yourself, but a goal for them too, because you've then got to provide the resources that can facilitate that play for them. And you just have them there. You don't say you are going to use this today to play puppies. That's completely <laughs> not not the whole process the whole process is if you might have different sorts of puppy dogs out there um, and you might have them in a basket and just sat there ready for when they arrive because you know that their interest is puppies they're obsessed with puppies and that's what they want to play so then you provide these other resources that can facilitate that you might have a series of little bowls that could be used for water bowls and food bowls you might have some um leads that the children can put around their waist we would never put the collars on the children um, but we could put a lead that goes around their waist because that's a bit safer than around someone's neck for obvious reasons um, so these are things like these are ways that you can break these down and put them into simple digestible things and and processes that are easily you know bite-sized chunks that will give you more information about the children but it's also going to stretch them at the same time uh, and self-regulation and independence like they are massive they are so important for all ages um, and it teaches children valuable lessons um, that's what you can do is be teaching them these valuable lessons about how to be self-regulating and how to be independent these are learned things you don't just come out of the womb knowing how to be independent in fact you are the most dependent in your life when you first come out of the womb so these are learnt things and we have to teach the children independence and we have to teach them self-regulation these are the really important factors before moving on to school um, so a goal for a child could be to learn how to tie their shoelaces or pack up their school bag independently uh, when you set these sorts of goals for children they become more self-reliant and it boosts their self-confidence and it prepares them for future challenges so when they can successfully meet challenges and sometimes they're difficult to meet sometimes they are very difficult to meet and sometimes they are hard to um, get there and it takes a lot of persistence on your behalf to assist them through those challenging moments but the more they face that and the more they do it, the more sense of satisfaction they get from having completed it and being able to do it themselves. So, <laughs> pardon me, goal setting is, it can be really simple. And I always had that helicopter view, 
look at what's going on overall and then choose something and hone in on that and then go, okay, how am I going to actually do that? How, like, why, first of all, why are you choosing that goal for the child? Like what cues are they giving you that that's something that you're choosing to work on them with? And, you know, those self-regulation ones, you know, children needing to tie their shoelaces, they might be getting frustrated um, because they want to tie shoelaces, they don't know how to uh, because they're watching someone else do it and they're taking their cue and they're wanting to learn from that as well. So, but they're struggling, they're, they're missing some fundamental skills there. So you need to backtrack and, and, and they're telling you that because they're getting frustrated that they can't tie their own shoelaces. Or they might say to you at that stage, I want to tie my shoelaces. Tori, can you help me learn to tie my shoelaces? Yep, it's a great goal. <laughs> and, and that's it. That's as simple as it has to be. We don't have to make complex, difficult goals. We can make very simple goals. And once you've met one, make another goal. Uh, it gives you satisfaction as an educator too, because once you've once you get on that track and that role and you've done it a few times for the children, what it does is it creates a, an incredible depth to your program and it also creates an incredible depth to the understanding you have about that individual child and it gives you more information about them it will as you're working through these goals with the children you will 100% learn more about that child how they learn how they deal with disappointment how they deal with excitement because some children really need direction and to learn how to express their excitement in a positive manner that's not going to be, you know, interrupting other people and blah, 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 blah. So it teaches you so much more about that individual child that's in your group, which then gives you more understanding of who they are as a person. And that is to me what early childhood education is completely and utterly about, is learning who they are as a whole person, as a whole person and helping them to be able to overcome challenges, difficulties, how to, you know, not just focus on the things that are easy, but how to work on the things that are difficult as well. So I hope that that has given you some insight and some information and different ways to look and think about goal setting. Again, we have structured learning frameworks in place because it makes it easy for us to be able to assess what's actually going on. That's the professional part of our role is that we have to be able to assess what's going on. We don't have to make that assessment difficult and we don't have to make that structured learning uh, arduous and boring and convoluted and all that sort of stuff it can be as simple as providing you know songs that are counting songs because one of the children wants to learn how to count or is on the in the process of learning to count but is getting their numbers all mixed up and confused so lots of times you're responsive to what the children are telling you already but you haven't ever just put it into that context of, oh, that's the goal. Like that, I, I already knew that so-and-so was wanting to count or was showing the signs of being ready to count because, you know, they're, they're or, you know, they're, they're 
singing the songs or they're they're doing things and they're counting in jumble. So, oh, I'd already started to sing songs with them to help them be able to remember how the number sequences go. So anyway, there you have it, friends. That is my take on goal setting, the importance of, of goal setting, how valuable it can be, how it can help you with your program, your documentation, and more importantly, how it gives you a deeper understanding of who that particular child is as a human being. So I hope you got something out of that. Let me know if you've got any feedback or if there's a topic you'd like me to dive into more. I'm always happy to uh, to share my ideas and thoughts and wisdom on those for you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a beautiful day. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. When we work on our own, we can sometimes be in a silo. So having new perspectives and different ways of looking at things is vitally important for the growth of our individual selves and our professional selves as well. We love feedback. So if you felt compelled to share what you thought of today's podcast, we would love to read your thoughts. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps our podcast to get out to the wider community. And the more that hear what we have to share, we think the better it is. Thanks so much, friend. We'll see you next time. Till then, big love.